0: Seven o'clock, do you know where your freedom is?
1: Gun, gun, the gun, that's Gross, I say that's how I feel I choose alone, I cruise real far I don't have to, I love my car salesman wanking in an around the put the the put the through this Faster, faster, in my
2: 11
3: <gasps> I'm here with Bo Randstall a dear friend of mine
4: <laughs> man this movie would be so much worse if it weren't so true
3: um... <laughs> I thought of that for a second
4: <laughs> yeah it's man. Uh, when I was watching it again, I was like, shit, this is one of those idiocracy things where it gets more true as time goes on. And that's frustrating. I probably had one more glass of wine last night than I should have. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, you know, I woke up and I was like, oh, yeah, right. 45, shit. Um, <laughs> after this, I'll actually start my day. This is kind of the, 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 my little, uh, bon bon of delicious flavor in between uh the morning and going and doing day off stuff. I'm going to go buy a haunted doll. Well, not the doll itself won't be haunted, but I'm going to buy a doll, I'm going to say it's haunted, I'm going to sell it on eBay. That sounds like a fun day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I saw that there's a market for that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I would and imagine. I don't want to make uh like a living out of it or nothing. I just kind of want to do it once and just to have the experience of like will is somebody legitimately buying something like this i need to prove that to myself and so here's the thing i learned in my haunted doll investigation which i've done a lot more of than a healthy person should (laughs) uh so it turns out that ebay actually had to change their policy to read uh in such a way that it just it made it um not illegal but they they've uh, no longer decline or no, no longer accept any item that is not a tangible thing meaning that people were selling like love spells and shit and ebay had to step in and be like look we can't prove that's a real thing and also, <laughs> while we're at it, you can't sell your soul. That was another thing that's in the policy now. Anything that is not an object that you can mail to someone, they're like, look, you just, it's not the business we're in, people. But they have this whole section that is like haunted dolls and charms and stuff like that. And the descriptions are hysterical. The You know, the descriptions are like, uh, I need this out of my house. You know, this thing is causing me like bad health and my money is flying out of my bank account i don't know why i gotta get rid of this thing will somebody please buy this haunted demonic doll and it's like eight bids 45 dollars and i'm like what the fuck so um some people just want to win man i guess so there's a flea market right around the corner from me so one of the things i'm legit doing today is going to this flea market and seeing if i can find a doll that looks quote haunted And I'm going to throw my hat in that that particular ring because I think it's hysterical and I just want to write the description. She's defied space and time. She's been to a place you couldn't possibly imagine. And now it is time to go back. One of the others I saw that I really liked had two, two elements that made me laugh. One was safe around pets. I really like that one. The other one I really liked was: "This is uh, the uh, the spirit vessel of someone named Roxanne who died in a car accident. So if you take this doll in the car with you, be sure to wrap a blanket around it so it can't see." Uh huh. And I was like, "That's fucking great."
3: That would have been a fun thing. Uh, one of, one of the creative writing classes I had, I think it was called experimental fiction or something like that, and you had to create fake documents. That would have been a fun exercise to do, is write a fake ad for a haunted doll.
4: Yeah, I I think I'm doing it more for the writing exercise part of it than I am any financial gain, because a lot of them, of course, don't sell, because most people are reasonable. So I fully expect that this doll is just going to end up sitting in my guest room, which is also cool, because now I have a a creepy-looking doll in there and a story to go with it.
3: And then after a little while you can uh, brush up the ad a little bit and add, or polish that thing. And you know,
4: the doll's so scary. The internet was afraid of <laughs> Right, <laughs> a doll too terrifying for eBay. <laughs> Apparently there's a big market on Etsy as well for this stuff. And I haven't really looked there yet. I have my, my research hasn't extended that far uh, cause the eBay hole is a deep one and that's the one I went down. Um, but I'm, I can't tell you how captivated I am by this whole like subculture of we're buying and, and, Oh, here's another thing. When you're, when you're uh posting the ad, you actually have to put a disclaimer in. That's like, Hey, look, I can't guarantee that anything paranormal is going to happen. Cause you know, it's not real, but uh, you can have this doll and that's a thing. And, but it, the way it reads is like, because of eBay's policy that I have to point out, this is a tangible item for entertainment purposes only yeah and and it's like okay you stick that disclaimer at the bottom that that clears my conscience enough and i don't know <laughs> anyway i'm delighted by the whole thing clearly
3: yeah there's a lot of things that the doll may have done
4: right yeah like this is the this is haunted by the ghost of a guy named daryl he loved to work on his yard if you put this doll out in the yard it will be very happy you know just crazy (laughs) shit. whatever whatever it's all it's all made up so nothing is any more ridiculous than another thing
3: that sounds like fun
4: uh death race 2000 is fucking awesome anyone who tells you different is a liar
3: it had been a while since I had seen it, I, I hadn't really forgotten anything other than some of the gloriousness. I had a vague memory. I was like, OK, this happens. But man, what I, I had not seen it in at least one president, maybe two presidents.
4: Um, <laughs> yeah, that'll make a difference. It turns out
3: the president. It's the year 2000. We're, we're, like we said, we're talking about Death Race 2000 from 1975. It's the year 2000. The America is a totalitarian regime on the brink of collapse. Uh-huh. The most popular sport in the dystopia is the transcontinental road race, where teams earn points for logging the fastest time and for mowing over the most innocent pedestrians in the process calamity and hilarity ensues i mean what doesn't this movie have
4: look this is at a time when roger corman at all you know because there's a roger corman production uh obviously
3: rock and roll high school is there
4: (laughs) yeah felt like you could make a, a b movie but it could say something it could be it could be a legit work of art you know and I know it's hard to imagine a world where Death Race 2000 is considered art, but <laughs> it is. It is a political statement. Uh, at a, a, like, this movie has a very specific point of view. It is a parody of this totalitarian society. But in a larger sense, it's just a, a parody of of American culture at the time. And it just so happens, the American culture at the time... Very similar to the American culture of today, uh, so that you this movie feels so relevant. It's shocking.
3: I, I can't remember the last interview that I saw of Corman talking about about it, but yeah, you know, he and uh, God, I cannot pronounce the name of the person that wrote the short story that it's based off of.
4: Ebe Melchior.
3: We'll go with that yeah um but you know they said that corman came and yeah talk talk to him because he yeah he's like there's no way anyone could turn this into a movie and roger corman did
4: yeah I, well specifically um you know kind of paul Bartel, famous mm. from eating raul uh and my favorite from the movie piranha where he is uh a, a splendid jerk in that movie um <laughs>
3: the reality TV doctor in this for Frankenstein and my first awareness of him. You will probably notice this in conversation about this movie, but I definitely saw rock and roll high school before I saw this. So I have conflicting feelings about Miss Togar, Calamity Jane Mm
4: -hmm. and
3: Paul Bartel was the I I feel like you don't really you don't really like the movie or you haven't seen it much. We we've touched on it before.
4: Yeah, I, I just didn't. I, I've seen Rock and Roll High School once. It just wasn't a seminal film for me, okay. uh, but I, I don't dislike it. I should go back and watch it again, uh, especially after watching this again.
3: Well, Paul Bartell was the stuffy music teacher in the, in the school that ended up getting really into the Ramones. Looks the same. Every movie I, <laughs> I've seen him in, but anyway yeah, yeah. It,
4: it, it it's a bizarre you're, you're right like it seems like a movie that would be tough to make sort of like uh a clockwork orange seems like one of those things that would be very difficult to adapt um but they i think that the play is hey we're making this kind of a drive-in movie but oh by the way it's it's sort of this, in my mind, a very complicated discussion of like, well, not is not only is totalitarianism bad, but maybe the other options aren't that great either. And is every political system just the lesser of two evils?
3: Yeah, uh, I mean this 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 came out. At what I forget, they said they shot it in
4: like a week and a half or something like that. <laughs> right some ridiculous um, <laughs> i get some roger corman ass shit i yeah. just like hey we're gonna make this movie in a week and a half and whatever we'll see how it turns out yeah we're gonna
3: soup up the cars a lot of us are gonna do our own driving i know most you know oh, uh, mary warren of calamity jane uh that was her first time ever driving <laughs> yeah well welcome to driving yeah <laughs> <Now, laughs> This came out a year after Watergate.
4: Yeah. Yeah. The I mean
3: president, The president is in the Winter White House in Moscow, and he loves everyone.
4: Yeah. And he's not a crook. Well, when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. By
5: definition. Exactly.
4: Right. It, like, I, here's the thing that occurred to me, and I almost don't want to put this out there. Because it's a now once I say it, you're going to agree with me, and then it'll be a thing that will happen. Okay. But but I as I watch this, and you know you see the the flag behind Mr. President, which is it's funny that the leader's name is Mr. President. I always like that. <laughs> uh, is an American flag only instead of the fifty uh, stars, it's a, a fist with uh, a lightning bolt. With a lightning bolt. And what occurred to me as I watched it was, you know, if Trump decided by executive order that he was going to remove the 50 stars on the American flag and replace it with a fist with a lightning bolt, I think he'd get away with it, It would stop him. I don't, I,
3: I, I know I can't straight up agree with you because then it'll happen but i can't not disagree with you because it seems like i don't know who it's i don't know you know it it takes a group effort and i know a lot of people have been thinking well this one thing i know i for a while was convinced that robert mueller was gonna end the trump presidency And that you know.
0: Well, you can wish in one hand and crap in the other, and see which gets filled first.
3: We we all in dark times we all grasp at invisible straws. If he decided to do that, Chuck Schumer would do a speech on the floor of the Senate about how shitty it is that he wants to do that. Uh, Nancy Pelosi would say that they're going to talk about thinking about. Talking about thinking about doing something if they don't respond in two weeks or or whoever, uh, you know, uh, he might decide to do that when there's a different speaker of the house or quite recently. What uh, Billy Graham Jr. suggested that they extend this term of office by two years.
4: And that was one of the one of those things that when you hear it and it's like that is a thing that's legitimately being said holy shit that's a thing
3: that's being said that's a thing that's being retweeted yeah by the person who uses that platform as their official conduit to the
4: people for yeah for policy uh look to twitter um yeah it's it it truly is an an insane time in this country like there are certainly I, you know, I'm mid forties and I have never seen the, like, uh, I was too young to uh, remember Watergate. I was born the year of Watergate as a matter of fact. Um, but like, there has never been a situation where I felt like the country teetered so close to totalitarianism and there are polls that suggest that there's a good percentage of people that seem okay with that that's how you end up with death race 2000 you know yeah. like we're not <laughs> our, like death race 2000 should be extreme and ridiculous and it's not this is
3: you know just a hair step away from an mtv reality show
4: yeah i mean aside from like they they refer in the film to like a great economic collapse and you know clearly that hasn't happened yet and knock on wood it never will Obviously, that's not what we want. No, no matter how much I hate uh, Trump, and I do, I think that he's a con man and a clown, but I also don't want the country to suffer just because I want to feel better about a point being made or something
5: yeah. like,
4: I, you know, like <laughs> I, I, I don't want to feel righteous indignation and righteous satisfaction as, like, the stock market collapses. That's not good for anybody. So um, so I hope that never happens. But, you know, I mean, he goes off barking about tariffs left and right, and it makes the stock market do weird shit. Because when the president talks about, you know, trade policy, it has an effect on, on you know, people's confidence in, in the markets and so forth. And... Uh, so we haven't had that happen. So that's that's a difference between now and and Death Race 2000. The Mister President stuff is, I mean, that's right next door. We are not far off from that. If Trump was just like, from now on, I'm Mister President. Um, you know, that's what everyone's gonna call me, and it's my job forever. That yeah. not that is not only not crazy. That's already being said. So. <laughs> We got that.
3: It's the new Coliseum. Yeah, it's people, and, and people are experimenting with, uh, you know, uh, well, we came to talk about a different kind of mass murder. But, I mean, the way people are live streaming their violent attacks on people on on Facebook, and yeah. people are sharing that or whatever, or recording it to watch later and all that other stuff instead of... I don't know what the response to be helpful would be, but people, I, I think if they started advertising, they, if, first they'll start by advertising executions on TV. Pay-per-view, pay-per-view channel or something like that. Right. Sort of like a, a new faces of death or, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I feel like a lot, a lot w- could happen just to own the libs.
4: Yeah, yeah. It, see, that's the... What I was talking about—that righteous satisfaction when it ultimately is harmful to the country, but you just want to feel better—that's mm-hmm. the kind of shit that drives me up the wall. Um, and it happens on both sides, but but the right is ate up with the owning the lib shit, and it's like that's not a reason for policy, just to make another segment of the country angry. The the point is that <laughs> in theory, uh, my my belief in government, Darren is that every day you should be working to make the lives of the citizens of that country better. Um, you know, th- that vision you sound for- like a socialist. Yeah, well, I am, you know? <laughs> um, my boss used to give me a hard time about Barack Obama. He was like, he's a socialist. I'm like, no, I'm no. a socialist. <laughs> Barack Obama is a centrist. I'm a socialist. Uh, I, I don't care for capitalism, Jim. um (laughs) how do you like that but um (laughs) he didn't like it as it turned out but uh um yeah so when like this whole notion of owning the libs is just childish and and it's one of the things that makes it difficult to engage with that side you know um i know every politician says like well we need to be reach across the aisle and uh but you can't reach across the aisle if they're gonna just hurl shit at you when you when you try to do that and that's the response you know
3: i was thinking of a similar analogy you can't reach across the aisle if the hand that's reaching back is covered in shit
4: you stink palm it's a stink palm you take your hand
0: you stick it in your ass like this you've been walking all day and you're also nervous so no doubt you'll be sweaty as hell <sighs> there now you shake hands with the guy hey mr svenning how have you been it's a point. You know how long it takes for that smell to come off? Scrub all you like. It'll stick around for at least two days. How does he explain it to his colleagues and family? They'll think he doesn't know how to wipe his ass properly.
1: Meanwhile, you yourself are left with a hand that smells like shit.
4: Uh, it's a poop hand, regardless. And, yeah, it like, I, you know, I, I don't want to stake too much in the ground for the Democratic Party because I, I'm so frustrated with the Democratic Party as well. I am uh, like, I don't know how deep you want to go down this rabbit hole. I am totally uh, in favor of impeachment because the man broke the law, and that's how we do it. That, yeah. it to, to me, it is that cut and dried. I don't care what the political cost is. If we lose the election based on that, I don't give a shit. The man broke the law. We know that. There is a report <laughs> stating that. And now we prosecute. And that is it. And wherever the chips fall, the chips fall. And if you lose an election, you lose an election. But when history looks back on this moment, it doesn't look like we let some, like someone committed a crime in plain sight and the entire country look the other way. And I that frustrates the shit out of me.
3: That's pretty much where I am. I, I, I I'm a little, political consequences shouldn't be considered in making that decision. I also... While I grew up with some rose tinted glasses about the government, that's the way the government's supposed to work. That's the way it says it's supposed to work, not the way they tell us it works. That's actually written as to what they're supposed to do. And it isn't. Yeah, it's the thing that you do, not because it's right or wrong. It's it's for beneficial for yourself politically.
4: Yeah. I, I I mean, you you need a hero to stand up in this scenario. And I don't know that there is one. Um, You need somebody that that just starts demanding it, that just bangs that drum. And I know, again, there could be a giant political cost to it, but through the prism of history, like if we look back on the Nixon administration and it had turned out that Nixon not only remained in power, but actually consolidated power for his party because his party decided to be complicit in that crime you know to essentially be uh a, a gatekeeper for his his legal status you know to to say that he is above the law you know um that i don't think history would look kindly on that and i don't think if if that's the way this all works out i don't think history will look kindly on us uh for for engaging in that kind of behavior it's it it, it boggles my mind again both sides of the aisle I'm disgusted on both sides that there aren't democrats and republicans alike standing up and saying regardless of what your views are on policy this man committed a crime you know and and far worse than you know th- this all depends on what your definition of is is uh like I don't want to equivocate here but like hey if we're going to impeach clinton for Perjuring himself about a blowjob, then Trump, like n- not not forget all the Russia shit. Just impeach him on the the writing checks to porn stars during the election and the cover-ups. Him coordinating with people to obstruct justice to try to stop these investigations into legitimate crimes. Impeach him on that. That seems like enough to me.
3: Yeah, the sort of loose betrayal, or whatever you want to call it, of the weird the weird relationship with Russia, which I think is largely pinned on he didn't think he was going to win the election, so he was trying to get that business deal to get that tower built, and yeah. it all went wrong for everybody.
4: Right, well, <laughs> he he won the election, surprisingly, and then he now had this relationship with Russia, about the tower to cover up. And again, it's not what he did isn't so much the crime. It's the fact that he tried to cover all this up. Yeah. Influencing
3: people in the FBI, trying to
4: influence the Attorney General. Those are big fucking things. That, 100%. And and right now, the stuff he's doing this very minute with, like, having the... Ordering the Department of Justice to look into political opponents, like, that kind of shit should be the mayday of like we need to start impeachment yesterday like this can't go on this, this guy is acting like a king and this country was very much set up to prevent that it's you just the problem is that one of the political parties is so is is so interested in consolidating their own power they are not interested in actually protecting the laws of the country and that's again I, I, to me that seems treasonous that is the thing that that i come back to on that is i it it's unconscionable to me that anyone would would place party over country in a situation like this where it's like this guy is behaving in a way that so clearly runs counter to the notion of what the presidency should be and the idea of separate but equal branches of government the institutions of democracy of our country and, and nobody seems to give a shit. It blows my mind.
3: We get to pack the courts with lifetime appointed judges that hate gay people and abortions.
4: You know, I mean, as terrible as that is, and it is, I almost feel like that's the B-plot. You know, like, the, the that is the collateral damage of this guy. The When he's doing body blows to the separation of the executive and judicial branches of government like this um and and also uh you know the, the legislative as well like his his relationship with the republican senate is disgusting. Lindsey there, Graham Lindsey, Lindsey Graham, Graham and Mitch fucking McConnell uh, is I he is such a foul individual to me because of he is such a political animal and that's all he is. And and that it bothers me deeply that one of the parties is essentially being run by a guy that doesn't give a shit about the ethics of this country. You know? It is it's amoral. He likes uh, that, it. He enjoys he, it. Yeah, well, because he has the power. That's all he cares about. Like there is an amorality, not an immorality, just an amorality that runs through that Republican party. That's what they have in common. It's not ideology because Mitch McConnell's ideology, I don't believe is anything like Trump's ideology or that that is a firm ideology to begin with. But it's just, it's the strange bedfellows thing of like, Hey, I'm willing to look the other way. And if, if that means that we're going to stay in power and you're going to stack the benches with judges are going to be favorable, favorable to, our policies and you don't give a shit about that yeah. so there's a we'll, list pick a name yeah right and you know, it, we made it short sentences so you don't have to read much it's going to be fine it's a flip book yeah. with pictures um so you can make sure
3: you don't pick any black people don't worry
4: yeah yeah right right so you don't accidentally uh, pick someone that's like a latina woman or something <laughs> It. yeah it's it, it's head scratching. Like it, it is one of those presidencies that uh, is just going to be like a, a, a historical marvel of like here the breadth and depth of corruption and scandal and 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 the complicitness of the Congress with him. Like all of that stuff is is like I said, it, it is not going to be remembered fondly or well by history it's i think we are going to be judged quite harshly unless somebody stands up and does something soon and i mean i feel like i don't know i just i don't feel like the 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 momentum in the country is there and and certainly not within congress and i'm again but i don't care i'm of the mind that you do it because it's the right thing to do and the politics of it be damned
3: i see some good things here and there especially when i'm looking around uh trying to find people to possibly interview for the show or something like this. I believe it's called Run for Something. It's a non-profit that got started shortly after 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 the the 2016 election. But anyway, it's focused at encouraging and helping people to run for lower offices. Mm -hmm. And uh, stuff like that.
4: I'm actually familiar with with that organization, and uh, I I threw them a little cash. And if uh, if you were listening and care about that kind of stuff, of you know, uh, throw them a little a little cash as well, or run for something. Shit, that's cool too.
3: I've been asked by a couple people when I'm gonna run for something, and I was like,
4: you totally should, man.
3: I'm establishing myself in the neighborhood.
4: Yeah, I'm it's a thing I've been thinking a lot about recently is, uh, because I'm, I'm in the same situation, like, you know, I bought a house and I'm part of a community now in a, in a way that feels more solidly, uh, permanent and, and invested. And so I've been thinking about, and look, I'm in Marsha Blackburn country, right? Like that is technically my representative, Jesus fucking Christ. Um, so it's a very red area. Like I, I'm outside Nashville. Nashville's very blue, where I am, very much not. And so I've been thinking, like, well, how do I help the local politics here? And I'm still just trying to decide <clears throat> what that is going to look like. You know, is it campaigning or is it knocking on doors or whatever? Uh, and who's running? Like I'm, I'm still dipping my toes and all that, but I know I want to do something. You know, like I've that that's what I've got going on is I'm just I'm doing a lot of googling of well what what's the Democratic establishment in this county and you know who's running the show and and that kind of thing. So, uh, but I'm I'm eager to do it because I think that ultimately I think that's what the Democratic Party for a long time forgot is that they seem to be running great national campaigns, uh for for the most part, but the local presence was shit and that seems to be turning around thanks to organizations like you know uh run for it and um uh so yeah i mean you know i know i i i'm the same way i I feel like you gotta if you're going to have a strong opinion about politics um voting is great but it's not enough
3: Go to some protests, knock on some doors, make some phone calls, write some letters, go to ResistBot. They make it really easy to write your representatives. The state supreme, uh, I think the Southern District of Ohio recently ruled that our congressional districts were unconstitutionally gerrymandered.
4: Mm -hmm. Good for them.
3: Yeah. I was waiting on pins and needles
4: I, and I like the fact, too, that they said, uh, as part of that ruling, if I have this right, um, that it has to be redrawn before the next election. It's not like we're going to kick this down the road. It's like, no, no, no. The next election that happens, these these districts need to be all proper.
3: Yep. Uh, I forget when the Michigan had a similar ruling a couple weeks ago also. And I forget when their deadline is. It's sometime in the summer. But the deadline for Ohio's is June 14th, this June 14th. So, yeah, before the 2020 election, the stipulation in the ruling is that if they don't come up with an acceptable map, the court will do it. Yeah. Of course, the Republican attorney general has, on behalf of all of the people of Ohio, filed an injunction to stop that ruling um, because two or three years ago, we were still upset about our gerrymandered state so we voted to force them to redraw the districts and but that's not supposed to happen until 2022 or 2024 they keep kicking oh. that down the road um so he says yes they they're gerrymandered and the people want it changed but let's wait a couple more <laughs> elections
4: Ugh, man i mean that, and that's the thing that feels so slimy like when you talk about the Republican Party I try to be even uh, in in my um my measure of the Republican Party uh, again I have problems with I, I the Democratic Party pisses me off plenty
3: I yeah, get it in their own way
4: in their own way sure but when you, when it's stuff like this where it's just this craven power grab like uh what what state was uh, was it Wisconsin where they were trying to pass that legislation or did pass the legislation that was like, hey, anyth- anything that comes out of this new Democratic Congress uh, has to be super approved or some shit. It was like like on their way out the door after they got their asses handed to them in the uh, 2018 election, they, they tried to draw up laws to make it difficult for anything – the incoming democratic uh, majority could accomplish. And it was just one of those things of like, it's just dirty fucking pool, you know, of like you're, you're being just assholes about all of this. It's, it's the redrawing of the districts to favor them. It, it has nothing to do with what, what is right or just or anything like that. It is just, how do we get more and more power? and you know it's like you win honest or don't win and i know that's not the world we live in and i'm being naive but shit you know i grew up on mr smith goes to washington that that's how that shit ought to go
3: even frankenstein in death race 2000 kind of lives that that motto
4: he is all right here's what is fantastic about frankenstein speaking of death race 2000 finally um is he is almost the snake pliskin of this movie where he, you don't know what his politics are, but you know, kind of vaguely you're probably on his side. Um Because like from the moment where the, for listeners who have never seen death race, 2000, one of the elements of this death race of, of these people racing to new Angeles <laughs> is that they can run people down along the way to score points and the thing that i really adore about this movie and its sense of humor is that the elderly are the most valuable kills but the second most babies babies under 12 at least Uh, toddlers under 12 (laughs) um Yes, are seventy points, and yeah, no, it's 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 the best. And then teenagers, and, I think, are the right. Third? It's yeah, it's a, like middle age. Uh, the least are kind of twenty to thirties. Uh, strangely, I think were the the least uh, high scores. But uh, but th- so there's a point where a bunch of nurses <laughs> are on what they call euthanasia day are rolling. Uh, you know, like sick and dying elderly out into the road as sort of a sacrifice for Frankenstein. (laughs) Uh, And what he does instead is he veers off the road and doesn't hit any of the old people and instead mows down a bunch of the nurses that wheeled them out. And it's like, okay, so this guy either A, has a demented sense of humor, um, B, is kind of, you know, damn the man, rebel, rebel, or C, both. And I think that's where the truth lies, is is that both of those things are true. But... Yeah, it's it's kind of this great moment where you realize, like, oh, he's really not on the side of the government, which is how he's presented. Because when he first appears, he's like, you know, I was with Mr. President yesterday. Mr. President says to tell you all he loves
1: you <laughs>
4: just like you love him. And again, it's it ain't that far uh, from present day. But, like, you could hear, you know, Sarah Huckabee Sanders saying that. Well, I was just with him. He wants you all to know how much he loves you just like you love him. Totally could happen. Um, so, yeah, but he is sort of the representative of the totalitarian leader. But you do get the sense early that, hey, he is a little bit different or a, a little bit more his own man. And we also are privy to the fact early that his, you know, Frankenstein face is really just a mask that he wears, and underneath it is David Carradine. 1970s David Carradine, no doubt. No right, less. yeah, some Kwai-chan Kane David Carradine. It's very firm, taut, running around yeah. in
3: his black underpants.
4: Yes, yes, and in one glove. Uh, God, that one of my favorite reveals of any movie. I think is uh, spoilers. David Carradine always wears a black glove over his right hand and he has asked a couple of times about it. And he's like, that's personal, yeah. it's, you know? And when, when he finally reveals to his uh, navigator and the navigator is just a hot lady or dude, depending on the gender of the driver, um, that helps, I don't know, take care of the car or whatever, but also fucks you. It's a real weird s- scenario here. And, um, the one assigned to Frankenstein is the granddaughter of a resistance leader, and she is there to uh, help facilitate a, a plot to end Death Race.
3: Yeah, I don't think they specify, but do you think Thomasina Payne is related to Thomas Payne? I, or, I
4: Clearly, that's the implication, or, or that she is just named after him, maybe? Yeah, uh,
3: it's hard because of the names. The names are kind of on the nose. I for <laughs> This was the first time I didn't think that Sylvester Stallone's name was Joe Paterbo. Right. he's always pissed off. And whatever. Joe Paterbo! What <laughs> <Yeah, he>, about <laughs> Joe Paterbo? My yeah, tummy gun! Yeah. And the Denise Pander... part of the propaganda tv network with the real don Steele,
4: denise pander is a real good name though i like that a lot um like i said i love this movie i love even all the goofy names and and that kind of thing um but yeah so he reveals to her to finish the glove story that uh what he has been hiding under his hand is a hand grenade which (laughs) is a literal silver hand with a grenade built into it like melt welded into it and he wants to win death race because he is going to go up to the president shake his hand and and destroy the president and himself al- along with it um that's not it turns out what the hand grenade is ultimately used for it is instead used to uh kill uh machine gun viterbo oh no we got hands in here. <laughs> uh-huh.
3: the clam sauce
4: <laughs> yeah yeah well, won't anybody like me? Um, <laughs> that's his whole character in this movie is just, you know, yeah. oh, we love you, Frankenstein. What about me? But and and he's also exceptionally rapey, uh, in this film. But you know, hey, nobody, nobody's nerfing.
3: He was but... the only one that showed any modesty during the televised naked massage session. That I think this movie has the most, or the first nudity in a movie ever discussed on this show um oh really i think i was trying i uh in the rewatch that was one of the things i noticed and i I just got casually thinking about it and i can't think of another movie that we've done on here that
4: but there's something kind of subversive i think about the presentation of the nudity in this film in that it's hardly ever played for titillation yeah, you it's know? just
3: a thing. It's just what's going on.
4: Yeah, especially in that massage scene. It's very much like, hey, we're all like you, you see a bunch of guy asses as well. Um, you know, there's a little bit more boobage, but you know, that's I guess, you know, it's just torsos. <laughs> so, I'll yeah. tell you though, there is a point where uh, Frankenstein and his navigator, what what's the name of the the navigator? I can never remember her name. Um, but at any rate, where they're making out, you know, and, and about to get down. And she is in this position where her legs are pointed in one direction. Her waist is pointed straight up at the ceiling. And then her shoulders are pointed at uh, David Carradine behind her. And it was like, she looks like a goddamn contortionist in this scene. Like, this can't have been comfortable.
3: Uh, it seemed like a very m- movie got to appease the sent. Well, you know, not necessarily appease. got to avoid the X rating sort of shot.
4: Yeah. Uh, uh, Annie Smith is her name. Right. The memorable name, Annie Smith, but uh, as played by <laughs> Simone Griffith, uh, who's really good at it. Like, this is all a bunch of B-movie acting. Like, Mary Waranoff is not a great actress. She's just kind of awesome. And and like all these people, like Sylvester Stallone was a year away from doing Rocky, so he didn't have that strut to him yet. He was just kind of an actor. Yeah, and he had the Rambo
3: mouth down though.
4: Right, he had. The, there's a great moment where when he first rolls up and everybody's wearing Frankenstein shirts, and he just pulls out a Tommy gun and gives it the full Rambo like, Aah! and. <laughs> mows a bunch of people down it's really good um and you've got martin cove uh as nero the hero who was uh uh the the bad karate dude from the karate kid sensei john crease yeah um so yeah i mean like it's it's filled with people that you you kind of recognize if you watch a bunch of movies um but and especially, you know, Stallone is really the big name. Uh, besides Carradine. but you know, everybody is kind of there to have a good time, and and seems to be doing that very thing. And and Paul Bartel is a competent to good director. Um, like there are a couple of things that are ridiculous, like the fight scene between Frankenstein and Machine <laughs> Gun Joe has the most hilarious stunt double for sylvester stallone because <laughs> when they cut to him he's kind of like the stunt guy kind of has a bald spot in the middle of his head and he's got a mustache <laughs> and like you can't see him clearly but it's like that definitely is 100 percent not sylvester stallone
3: yeah, it was baseball's uh, level stunt double
4: it it was really good um th- so that's kind of silly and sometimes the speeding up the shot to make the the cars look faster gag works better than other times sometimes it looks great and it's really effective and sometimes it's like ah eh, you're just speeding up the shot now and it doesn't look so great but um i really uh enjoy the movie just as a narrative because like you know we have intimated here the um this whole subplot with uh there's a rebel force trying to undo uh the death race by blowing up the racers by setting up these fucking looney tunes traps for them and those are a delight
3: if they scatter go for the the mom and the baby or something like right.
4: that. right yeah they basically booby trap a baby carriage or a, ba- a baby basket um so that when a car hits it it, it, it blows it up and it's like, well, obviously the car is going to go for the baby because that's the most points. Um, it's very funny. And it, like in a really tongue in cheek and kind of dark way, in, in, in a lot of ways, like the fact that the same dude did this and did eating Raul is not crazy. You know, there's there is a similar sense of humor of like, we're going to be outrageous and over the top and kind of like a little grim, in, but taking that grimness surprisingly lightly. Like, ultimately, this is a movie where a totalitarian leader is overthrown by the machinations of the rebel force and and Frankenstein. But the replacement is better, but certainly not perfect. Like, this movie ends with him just murdering another dude because it's an annoying reporter. But you can't, Mr. President. Yeah, the people. Death race. Yeah, it's... Right. It's just this, uh, you know, reporter that refuses to let you can't stop death race, you know, uh, and and the movie ends with, you know, uh, Annie and Frankenstein now married with Frankenstein is Mr. Uh, President Frankenstein, which is also hilarious. Mr. President Frankenstein. <laughs> um, and they have gotten married. And as soon as they get in his car she she's like can't you do something about that reporter it's like she's just as bloodthirsty as he is she just doesn't want to pull the trigger then now that she's got the taste for power uh, Yeah. yeah right but but that's the kind of complicated message i think is he's also saying like hey we're doing away with a totalitarian rule we're gonna have free elections we're getting rid of death race all that stuff we're getting back to real democracy but also while i'm the totalitarian mr president frankenstein i'm gonna murder at will so stay on your toes yeah yeah even you and...
3: grace pander a dear friend well, of mine
4: <laughs> right like grace pander is still allowed to be a thing um and even the uh the rebel group led by thomasina Payne are kind of presented as buffoons
3: looney tunes is a great description of the things they do 'cause yeah it it is a baby wrapped in sticks of dynamite, and it's a fake road that goes off a cliff for the road runner and coyote uh fans <laughs> out there, yeah, that, you know, acme weird planes <laughs> that fly over just bury landmines in the perfect place to yeah. you know take out calamity Jane and um
4: you know one of my favorite moments in this movie speaking of Calamity Jane as played by Mary Warrenoff, there at the, uh, the end of the movie or towards the end of the movie there's a great moment where she goes uh, it's after her navigator has been killed by uh, Matilda the Hun and then Matilda and and Buzzboy died uh, or not Buzz Buzzboy was with uh, Calamity Jane sorry um, but Matilda's navigator whose name I don't remember now uh, anyway Herman the German Herman the German, of course, they're the Nazi team. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Again, one of those things that's like, eh, that's not that's uh, that's present day politics. So, Ugh. Ugh. Po-
3: Poignant choice, Mister. Right.
4: Oh my God! I mean, the fact that that's a thing we got to think about is disgusting. Anyway, um, but uh, when she goes to Frankenstein and Annie, is like, hey, no, you know, we're the last three left. No matter what happens. Uh, I, I just want to say good luck, and they're like, you know what? Good luck to you too, Annie. And uh, she goes and does the same thing to Machine Gun Joe. Machine Gun Joe is just like, eh, fuck off. <laughs> and it was such a nice moment of like, oh, this is that. This is such a great reminder of th- this is who these characters are. Very clearly, Frankenstein and Annie are the good guys. Mary warnoff is the person who's about to die. <laughs> And Machine Gun Joe is obviously the villain because he's a jerk. He hits women. He almost rapes Annie. He's he's cruel and stupid throughout the film. And uh, yeah, it's just it, it's a wonderful little like screenplay moment. I think of like before we launch into Ag three, just a reminder: here's who we're rooting for. Now let's let's wrap her up. It's yeah. great
3: say goodbye to calamity jane and her bull car joe viterbo who kills his own mechanics or scores his own mechanics i know john landis was in this as a mechanic was yes that
4: i, his I think scene? so okay. i think it is um be, yeah I, I remember seeing that in the credits as well and being like son of a bitch john <laughs> landis sent this. um deep deep in the credits you know um uh, yeah there's like a couple of names will pop up like lewis teague the guy who directed uh, cat's eye is all up and down the credits for this as well and yeah it's you know it's a roger corman movie he, he made he had a factory where filmmakers learned how to do things and then went on to do their own movies so uh death race 2000 it turns out no different so just littered with people uh who went on to do great movies um Maybe Cat's Eye isn't a great movie. It's a good movie. But uh, yeah, it's it, like, I, there's so much about Death Race that I love. Not not just the, the, the satire of this society that it creates where Death Race is so beloved. But it also has these great moments like when um, Frankenstein uh, is confronted by the girl who's like, I just wanted to meet you so it's more meaningful. And then he's like, get out of here. What the fuck are you talking about? And then the next day she steps out in front of his car and he runs her down. And it all because there's this like cult-like worship of Frankenstein and her sacrificing his life to improve his score uh was a meaningful way to live her life or end her life. And it's one of those things like and he runs her over. You know, he doesn't avoid her. And when Annie asks, like, "Why did you do that?" or you know, "I wonder why she did that. Why did she step out?" and uh, and and he's like, "Well, she loved me. That's that's how she proved it." You know, and it's great. It's it, a really nice little you know moment that makes you pause and and again wonder about the character of Frankenstein himself, who is not a a clear hero. You know, he's definitely better than Machine Gun Joe, but you know. He's yeah. he's not sparing her life either.
3: That's a low bar to get over, Machine Gun Joe. <laughs> he he makes most people look better.
4: Yeah, comparison. no, mach- right. Machine Gun Joe's fucking awful. No one's no one's arguing that. Um, but yeah, you know it's it's weird because not only does it have this like relevance uh, to just modern life where you see stuff that was happening, you know, 44 years ago now. And it's like, that's kind of the same stuff that we're dealing with now, this idea of totalitarianism in America and what that would look like. And yes, it's a very silly way to examine that subject, but that's, at the end of the day, that's what the movie is about. It it just does it in a, a way that has you running over nurses and you know, people hanging signs. And and one of my favorites, holy shit, one of my favorite uh, kills in this movie is when uh, one, d- there. it's the rebels, I think, they're escaping down a manhole in the middle of the road. And two of them end up getting uh, down the hole and a third one is left up top. And so a car comes by and runs him down. And then the two dudes underneath poke their heads up from the manhole to see what's what. And another car comes along and hits the manhole (laughs) as they have the lid raised and it crushes both of them. And you see a pretty good head explosion there. Um, Yeah, it's like this is kind of a gruesome movie at times, but it's also very silly about all that stuff. Uh, Like it is with everything.
3: We spoke about Calamity Jane's navigator getting run over while he's working on the car. There's the fisherman. I'm a big fan of yours, Mr.
4: Frankenstein. Like, oh. what? what? You got yeah, 30 seconds into, to live. He chases him into a river. Yeah. I'll run you down. Catch <laughs> some fish. Uh huh yeah it's terrific like all that stuff is so much fun and that's kind of what i love about this movie is that it it has something to say and it and it and what it has to say is interesting you know it's not just like you know huh? boy politics huh like it has a very a very pointed commentary about uh not just the current state of things but also like and eh, you know everything none of it's perfect but there are degrees you know just like there are degrees between frankenstein and machine gun viterbo um that that's sort of where we're left with politically at the end of this movie where yeah we got rid of the machine gun joe style politics but you know this ain't gonna be perfect either um and i and i like that and but it's all wrapped in this delicious candy coating Of this crazy race where you're scoring points by running people over and, you know, it's, it, it, but it does such a great job of creating this world. Like you, you understand this relationship between the drivers and the navigators and what role they're supposed to serve. And there's like mentions of, you know, uh, you had to work really hard through up through navigator ranks, I guess because one presumes that there are smaller regional death races that these people have navigated through. And it's like, I want to know all about that world. And it's kind of disappointing because all the sequels to death race, 2000 are garbage, are remakes and all that stuff. Like none of them get it right. And, uh, or explore that world in an interesting way. They just kind of reinvent the world in less interesting ways. Um, because this feels surprisingly big, even with the kind of cartoonish matte paintings and all that, (laughs) but it, it also feels like conceptually big.
3: Uh, They shot so much of it outside, which I feel helps. And I don't know who the cinematographer was, but in finding those futuristic looking buildings surrounded by nothingness, which is a good representation of the economy. At the time or the, that they're talking about.
4: The cinematographer, I noticed that I eh, bear with me as I look this up. Uh, it was Tak Fujimoto, who is a very, very famous uh, cinematographer. Uh, hang on. Yeah, he was the cinematographer of fucking Silence of the Lambs. He was the guy who shot the sixth, The Sixth Sense. He did Devil in a Blue Dress. He did Philadelphia. He did Singles. Uh, he did Married to the Mob. He did Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like, the the <laughs> guy who shot Death Race 2000 is one of the best cinematographers ever.
3: And, yeah, I mean, that's a name even I know, even I recognized when you said it.
4: Yeah, so when you, you point out, like, yeah, this movie looks pretty good, it's like, yeah, it really does. Yeah. And that's why. This was one of his first movies. In fact, it was his fifth film that he'd ever shot. He started five years before. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and would go on to uh, be one of the the guys who worked on Star Wars, was one of the the guys who shot Star Wars. (laughs) Well, you're right. It's crazy. But, like, again, the the amount of, like, talented people involved with this movie, it's sort of no surprise. It's kind of as good as it is. And the music is great in this. Holy shit, I love the music in this. It's so weird, and it's kind of this fusion jazz future music. <laughs> it's fucking crazy, and I love it. Uh, I, when I was watching it again last night, that was the thing I kept coming back to. It was like, man, this it, during the race sequences in particular, the the music is really interesting. You know, it it's... It, it's definitely moving the the action but it's also kind of weird on top and i I really like it um so yeah it's uh right like everything about this movie like I said it it's it it's a blu-ray for me and even though in it, it's never gonna look fantastic because it was shot kind of cheaply um it it still looks fantastic you know for for being a corman b film it looks really really good uh in in you know 1080p
3: this was at the beginning of my very first list when i was planning on starting the show but i didn't want to do it too early it was one of the ones that got saved you know just like i know nobody doubts that we're gonna eventually do they live on here of course. Sure. And, you know, it's 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 in there. Doctor Strange Love. Look for that. I'm not sure when, but it's a rad fucking movie and I can't imagine you listening to this and having not seen it. But, you know, a decent portion of my new listeners and some of my long-standing listeners and um, if you're brand new to the show, thank you for checking this out. Everybody else, also thank you, but it's one of those those films that I I feel like is really <laughs> Obviously, we've been talking about it for quite some time, but it's just one of those movies that I feel like just about everybody should see. Everybody that likes yeah. movies. It's not a, if you just like horror, if you just like... I wonder what genre this would be in other than sports.
4: I, I think it's kind of action, sci-fi, comedy, horror. Watch it with rollerball. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, they're, they're both and i would almost say end with this because it's more fun.
3: Yeah. You know, it's roller, more fun.
4: Yeah. Rollerball is a, a great movie, but it's it's a little serious minded. And and this movie has has serious things to say. It's just going to do it in a very absurd way. Um <laughs> and and that's kind of what I, the reveal of the hand grenade is so good. This this is my hand grenade it's like that is 100% what that is <laughs> that is ridiculous uh and it makes me laugh every time um <laughs> and uh and the fact that she has to unscrew it uh, off his arm kind of makes me laugh too it's like oh yeah i guess that, that's how it works and then the culmination of her you know again blowing up machine gun joe is him being like well you're gonna have to shift for me now yeah <laughs> shit well, uh, and everybody
3: else is dead so
4: just, right <laughs> you know we won death race I don't know how we're gonna kill the president but uh, you know and that's the goal of the movie is how do we kill the president uh, and that's the, the happy ending and another thing about the the worthlessness of the, uh, the the rebels all they manage to do is that Thomasina shoots her own granddaughter <laughs> and that's it that's all they manage and then it's it's Frankenstein who has to half nude kill the president i get all of that is wonderful uh I, I love this movie dearly and i i wish it much like idiocracy idiocracy is hard for me to watch now because of how prophetic it is and it's just like this isn't even a joke anymore this is just the way people are and and that's frustrating and disappointing and but watching death race at least it, it's like well this feels more true than it should but hopefully we will get to a time in the not too distant future where uh (laughs) this this will again start just being absurd
3: that would be nice
4: yeah i mean I'm, i'm just trying to like you know cast my mind forward a bit to uh to a place where um you know death race 2000 just seems like the silly satire that it was always meant to be and not an alarming reflection of things that are and things that could be
3: the media control the the relationship of government and major news networks oh no they didn't die they scored points what well everybody no we we control the narrative
4: yeah yeah um yeah uh, that uh, you know (laughs) just to get in another gripe um that is another problem i've got is uh i i don't like media coverage that feels obliged to present both sides of a story. If the other side of the story is stupid, (laughs) you know, if it's like, well, we have someone here who, uh, uh, is, is telling us about the horrors that could come from climate change, the inevitable, uh, destruction of coastal cities and the destruction of animal and plant life across the globe in a way that could truly lead to some harsh uh, like food resource conditions for us as a species Um, and then on the other side we have a guy who says -uh." (laughs) nuh-uh and and that is presented as being somehow equally credible uh, positions and the news needs to stop that if a thing is true it's true just report the thing that's true, you don't have to have someone else on to say, that ain't what I heard.
3: Well, if we switch to solar power, what do we do at night?
4: Well, last year, a New York Times tally found that Trump has mentioned wind
3: turbines and the imaginary bird apocalypse they create more than 55 times
2: since 2012. There's a lot of hoopla about windmills. They're horrible looking structures. They make noise. They kill birds by the thousands. By the way, many countries have decided they don't want wind because it doesn't work without massive subsidies. It kills massive amounts of birds and wildlife. The wind is very tough because those windmills are very, very expensive and they kill the birds and they look very terrible. Isn't it amazing the way the environments love the windmills and yet they kill all the birds? The wind kills all your birds. All your birds killed. In California, if you kill a a bald eagle, they put you in jail for five years. And yet the windmills knock them out like like flies. It's crazy. I don't want to just hope the wind blows to light up your homes and your factory. As the birds fall to the ground. Bing, that's the end of that windmill. If the birds don't kill it first the birds could kill it first they kill so many birds you look underneath some of those windmills it's like a killing field of birds try going to the bottom of a windmill someday it's not a pretty picture oh, you Jesus thought about Christ. that
4: uh, the, the, <laughs> one of the most hilarious and most terrifying things I've seen in some time is uh, recently when John Kerry was getting grilled um mm-hmm. you know the, the bit I'm talking about where mm-hmm. he uh he actually had to ask. Like, he, I can't remember. Was the guy from Kentucky? Is that where he was from? I, I can't. Remember.
3: I, I feel like he was from somewhere south of me.
4: Yeah, I, yeah. It, it seemed like he was a, a southern politician, which does not speak well. But he he was trying to grill John Kerry on environmental issues, and he started with, you know, Mister Kerry, your your political science uh, is your degree. And he's like, "Yeah, I graduated with a degree in political science." And he's like, "So you're a scientist?" And John Gary is like, "No, it's a bachelor of arts. Like, I have a, it's a liberal arts degree." And he's like, "Well, since you know so much, so much about pseudoscience," and he's just like, "What the fuck? All right, yeah. let's go." <laughs> I guess. And the yeah. guy, like, starts, are we
3: serious right now?
4: Yeah, he, he, he actually says, "Are Are you being serious right now?" Which is hilarious um <laughs> for John Kerry, Mr. No Emotion or Charisma at all. Yeah. For uh, for for him to be so outraged that he becomes suddenly charming and likable is incredible. And but when he goes on and and the guy is like, "So, uh you're cherry-picking your data, Mr. Kerry because, you know, how many parts of carbon per million are in the atmosphere and gives the the total and then Kerry says, you know, here's what the total is, and and here's what uh, it it ought to be, and you know, uh, here's here's where scientists say the tipping point, blah blah blah, and uh, uh, the guy's like, well, you know, you're cherry picking your data because, uh, you know, eight million years ago, it was the carbon in the atmosphere was you know four hundred times what it is today, and John Harry is like, yeah, but there weren't people then, <laughs> you know, like, and then he stops, he goes. I, this isn't a serious conversation and him John Kerry saying this isn't a serious conversation is one of my favorite things that's ever happened in politics of just like you're an idiot and nothing I say is going to change that so let's just stop talking now it was so sweet I love it when when stupidity is called out it was one of the greatest like dumbass Con- but it, it's frustrating that, that there is a, a wide selection of that to choose from, of just Congress people being completely clueless about something that seems so obvious and, and factual. And and again, going back to the media, like that ought to be a, a bigger deal of like, look at what this dumbass did to embarrass himself and his district in Congress today. You know, that the world I, I want to live in has news that reports that.
3: Yeah, Thomas Massey, Congressman from Kentucky.
4: Ah, I did have it right. Yeah, yeah. It it felt like a Kentucky kind of stupid. Uh, <laughs> like that's it's McConnell country, you know. Um, yeah, it's it. You know, it's embarrassing, but you know, you look at Europe and and uh or the UK and see the House of Commons shit. And it's like, well, it's no better there. But I don't know that 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 means it's good. I mean, that it just seems like there's a suitably low bar between the two countries right now um, <laughs> regarding the discourse in Congress. But I would like more of it televised just or reported on, you know, M- more so than, you know, just random crimes and shit. Like, I don't I don't need to see every kidnapping that happens like that's a matter for the police. Uh, on, on my splash page on CNN or whatever, like, just uh, tell me what's actually going on and not so much, uh, quit front loading the front pages of news websites with the opinion shit. That's another thing that bothers me.
3: If you are listening in Kentucky, Thomas Massey is in the fourth district of Kentucky. He's been in Congress since 2012. So he's been reelected quite yeah. a few times for some fucking reason.
4: Yeah, but, get him out of there. He's a know, dumb dumb. If you're in that, if you're in that uh, that district, I don't care. You don't have to elect a Democrat. Just a smart Republican is fine. Yeah, just somebody who's person. not a dumbass.
3: Something I don't, can't come up with a good hashtag for Massey, but uh, ditch hashtag ditch Mitch. He's yeah. up for a re-election. His approval rating is worse than Trump's. I think. uh yeah. But he'll get re-elected probably until he dies. Oh, uh which yeah. you
4: know, I. You know, you don't want to wish ill on anybody, but good lord, he just seems like such an unpleasant dude. Um, but yeah, anyway, I, yeah, I I had to get in that that media gripe. It's something that bothers me a lot. That no matter which side of like which side of the political spectrum you fall on, or in the middle, or wherever you fall on that on that spectrum, it is difficult to get what feels like objective news anywhere. That is a frustrating problem. I yeah I I like the BBC news. Uh, one I I kind of like to see what an outsider's perspective looks like, um, and and that seems to be fairly objective in in its reporting. Um, as well as it 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 filters out all the bullshit I don't care about. Like I I couldn't possibly care who's what home run derby shit is going on or whatever. It's just like I want the the national political headline. And uh, if I want to do like I do that stop where I hit uh, BBC and I I check out uh, their North America coverage and then I check in on Brexit because I'm endlessly fascinated by that. Um, I mean, honestly, there but for the grace of God, if we had had a UK to secede from, we would have yeah. uh, or an EU to secede from. We, we would have with, under Trump. So and Trump was a big Brexit supporter. He was like, you know, I don't know nothing about nothing. I'm sure they do. It seems like a smart thing to do. Also, they seem to have some anti-immigrant policies, and I like that, because <laughs> um, that's that's his wheelhouse. And uh, yeah, so you know the fact that he he was kind of tied to it in a way, um, and and the characters around it, like the Nigel Farage's and 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 that kind of thing of of the world are fascinating and, and horrifying characters as well. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of my one stop. And then I hit the local news, uh, which is kind of uh, similarly frustrating because, you know, just like everywhere, the local news reporting isn't great anymore, uh, cause there's no money in it. So it tends to just be like the police blotter, you know, it's just, here's who got shot this place got broken into it's like yeah that's i guess that's news but i'm kind of more curious about what's going on in the local government uh and local politics and there's not a lot of great coverage about that um which is frustrating but i i don't think that i'm alone in in that problem you know uh maybe your your local newspaper or something is better but not so much this one
3: no, not really. And uh, the main local newspaper here has a paywall, anyway, on on their digital stuff. I can I can pick it up, you know, still in newspaper machines, or when I'm downtown near the newspaper headquarters. But we do have a Columbus-based public broadcasting, uh, or you know, PBS. Or... But yeah, it's it's a scatter shot. We've got a bunch of independent papers. Um, my old pop culture professor Bob Fitrakis, who sometimes runs for different offices uh, in the Green Party, runs the Free Press here in Columbus, and um, but yeah, our the Columbus Dispatch is owned. It, it might have changed owners recently, but it was previously owned by the Wolf family, from which Dick Wolf of television came from. They're not shitty, but they're not all that great.
4: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where, where ours sit, I think, is like it. they're not terrible. Like some of the bigger headlines will hit you like there's marijuana legislation moving through the, the Tennessee House. And uh, and of course, the for the county I live in, the the local sheriff showed up at that hearing to spew a bunch of lies and garbage. Of course. Uh about the addictive properties of marijuana, it's like you fucking asshole, you know, again, you you can't tell the truth and when you've got to lie to preserve whatever laws you think are right for whatever reasons you have, you know. Like wh- whether you're just being approved or it's a religious objection or whatever the fuck it is. You're you're against the idea of medical marijuana being approved in in this state, but you can't just say I'm against it you have to gin up a bunch of facts that are half-truths and, you know, ch- hand statistics and shit like that to prove a point that is ultimately untrue, to mislead the people deciding. And that kind of stuff is embarrassing. Um, you know, if you live where I do, where you're just like, man, I live in a place where the sheriff is so blindly anti-marijuana that he's willing to lie in front of our our state legislator to get his way and and so that makes me want to remove him from office as quickly as possible
3: how often are the sheriff elections like i can't remember
4: i i do not know uh again i'm just now kind of diving into local politics in a way that that feels significant so i'm still getting my feet wet um but i you know I, like i said i i want to do something and i feel like um yeah that i would have something to contribute you know like whether it's uh I, I i would love to do some writing uh you know whether it's flyers or pamphlets or whatever the fuck um maybe do something like that i don't know you know kind of what where whatever my strengths are how do i help make that work to you know just like i I am not trying to proselytize. I, I guess I am to an extent. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to recruit, I suppose. I, I feel like most of the time the message of the Democratic Party is one that people can get behind if they can get over the hump of, well, I don't like Democrats and I want to own the libs. It's like, all right, how do you get through that to say like, all right, aside from this grudge that you have against an ideology – what? How do you feel about not having to worry about paying for health care if you change jobs or get fired? You know, what if it, it, at no additional cost to you, you could have that security? And I think most people would be on board with that. And then if – and what you hope for, I think, in that scenario is them asking – Okay, well, tell me more. How would that happen? How do I not have to pay for that? And then you can get into the policy argument of, well, you know, we're going to tax people who make above this much, and it's not an extravagant amount, and it's money that, you know, if you ever get that rich, you won't care that we're taking it. And that'll pay for everybody. And in the meantime, you get to actually go to a doctor when you feel bad instead of waiting, waiting till it's an emergency, and you know all that stuff. Like, like I think you can shape that argument, especially for healthcare. And and to me, that's the biggest, most pressing pressing issue for this country. Because uh, you know, we're, all the other things that are happening um, are going to require healthcare to some degree, whether that's climate change or an economic downturn or whatever. Like, people are going to need access to affordable health care, no matter what. And uh, I, I think that that isn't like, I think most people are on board with that. Now you just need to have the right messenger for it. And I think, I think people are ready and I hope so. And that, again, that's the thing I kind of want to do on a local level is, is not so much get a certain person elected. It's just to start trying to chip away at that wall of resistance of just say, no, 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 just listen to, what the 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 party is about and ignore how much you hate Nancy Pelosi and all that stuff you're never going to meet Nancy Pelosi Nancy Pelosi's never going to meet you it's a grudge you don't have to carry you know you can dislike her and move on with your life a lot of people in the democratic party have done the same thing and you know let's be <laughs> let, let's just talk about what it is that we can do as as a country to make People's lives better, and I think I think universal health care uh, is is the place to start uh, bridging that divide because I think that's something everyone can agree on.
3: It sort of feeds into the well, it doesn't feed into it, it. It makes me think of the the joke that people actually do say when they're not saying it in a joking way, but you know, I don't need Obamacare; I've got the Affordable Care Act. It's how right. do you fucking word it. You know, which yeah. that, that isn't a really great plan, but it made some improvements. I don't want to steal your tax money. I want my tax money to do what it's supposed to do.
4: Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, if you just offset the cost of a lot of the, the healthcare bill by, you know, closing up tax loopholes and, and stop giving subsidies to a lot of the energy companies and, and that kind of thing, in addition to some taxation on the super wealthy uh by super wealthy like i i'm a i'm an elizabeth warren person i have been for many many years um i'm glad she's running uh i think that if nothing else she raises the level of discourse uh because she has very specific policy most of which uh, i agree with and um Uh, like, uh, one, one policy that's being mentioned more in this election than I've ever heard before that I'm also really in favor of is, uh, uh, UBI, the universal basic income. I'm a big fan of that. I think that is the safety net we need. Like, (laughs) you know, nobody is making the argument that automation is not putting people out of work and that, that is about to become a very big deal. You know, especially as the driverless cars eventually take uh, the place of some, uh, if not all, um, driver truck drivers, essentially eighteen-wheel uh, drivers, and you gotta you gotta do something with those people. And and retraining sounds great. Um, some of that needs to happen. At the end of the day, there just gonna ain't gonna be as many jobs as there once were. You know, we are going to take a loss on the number of jobs available to Americans Uh, that could translate into something else. Like, you know, something else, uh, some new technology could come around that is going to employ a lot of these people. Um, But if not, what the fuck do you do? You know, and UBI makes a lot of sense. And I think there's an argument to be made uh, as well for it being empowering. Um, to some of the most disadvantaged in this country uh, namely like say you're a mother who is in a terrible terrible marriage and you can't leave because you don't have a job or the job you have doesn't pay enough to support you and a couple of kids but if you had say an extra grand a month that you were just getting that makes your your freedom to move out of bad situations and towards better ones a lot easier. And I'm a big fan of it. I, 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 I don't think it is without complications, but I think it it is something that we need to seriously consider.
3: Well, I think Andrew Yang has had at least enough donations that he'll be on the first debate stage. Yeah. I think that's how they have that set up. And I think that's one of the key platforms of his campaign also
4: yeah i like him i i don't think he's got i mean we'll see it, it could, it's anybody's race right now like anybody who tells you there's a front runner is full of shit right uh but you know i i i do like his message um like i said i'm a warren person i i ever since she was back on the daily show uh popping up to chit chat with john stewart and I always thought, like, she should run for office. And then she did, and she won, and I was really happy. And, I, and then after uh, seeing what she was doing in Congress, I was like, she should run for president someday. And now she is, and I'm like, I can't be a hypocrite about this. I've always liked her. I've always <laughs> believed in in what she has supported. Uh, I think the policy uh, releases I – th- I think she is far and away the front runner in this race in terms of here are specific policies – that I would like to, to champion in my administration. And I like all of them. And, you know, I, I'm curious how she's going to play on a debate stage um, because I have always found her very personable and charming, but I don't think she has come off that way in the, the election so far, but I think she stands a real strong chance of doing that on a debate stage.
3: Yeah, I think that's what one of the places where she shines. I wanted her to run in two thousand sixteen. That's for sure. Uh, and then, uh, you know, when that didn't happen, I said, okay, well maybe, yeah, maybe I in think- eight years when whoever destroys Trump <laughs> is out of office.
4: Um, I I like. Uh-huh. maybe let me rephrase it I, I i do like her but also i think kamala harris has a real strong chance um i think she acquits herself well uh especially in congressional hearings i think she is fucking outstanding uh when she was grilling Barr recently oh, that was so good
5: uh, attorney general Barr, has the president or anyone at the white house ever asked or suggested that you open an investigation of anyone Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, yes or no. Could you, could you repeat that question? I will repeat it. Has the president or anyone at the White House ever asked or suggested that you open an investigation of anyone? Yes or no, please, sir.
2: Um, the president or anybody else?
5: Seems you would remember something like that and be able to tell us.
2: Yeah, but I'm, I'm trying to grapple with the word suggest. I mean, uh, there have been discussions of of matters out there that uh, they have not asked me to open an investigation. But Perhaps
5: they've suggested? I don't know. I wouldn't say suggest. Hinted? Like, I don't know. Inferred? You don't know. Okay. Um, In your March 24th summary, you wrote that quote after reviewing the special counsel's final report. I will say that no one— Sir, I'm I'm asking a question.
4: Yeah, she was fantastic. And she's a prosecutor, you know, for the good and bad that that brings with it. But I think she's going to be savage on a debate stage, and there's part of me that would love to see her across from Trump. I mean, can you imagine everything he fucking hates? A minority woman giving it to him left and right who is not afraid to take his shit? Ugh that does my heart good darren that yeah. sounds like something i want to watch uh, but to look forward to yeah uh so i don't know do you do you have a a, a favorite in this race so far anybody i like Buttigieg has a lot of heat he seems okay he yeah
3: i i feel like Budaj was sort of has the beto thing where people got really excited about him and then the more people Learn about some of his stances. His support's chipping away a little bit.
4: You think it's because he's too moderate at the end of the day?
3: I kind of do. I, yeah. I I think, uh, and yeah, while I do try to escape my bubble, I know, you know, I'm... <laughs> I am not a moderate person. I am not a centrist. I think the center used to be the right wing. And... I'm kind of casual with it right now because there are so many people and I don't want to get my hopes up like I have before when I've been hurt. But if if I had to tell you who, if I was going to vote today out of those 20 people, it would still be Elizabeth Warren.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I, I like her a lot. You know, I know everyone is like, well, the Pocahontas stuff. It's like, fuck the Pocahontas stuff. Like grabbed her by the pussy is okay but her being a little muddy on her ancestry fuck you you know like if that's if that's the biggest strike against her is that she kind of fumbled the PR around a story she told then get the fuck out of here
3: i don't know i i know i'm probably making more excuses for someone i like or right. someone i prefer but I, many people have family stories of who is in your family that's a little muddied when you go back
4: 400 years and maybe just right off the bat, she should have been like, fine, I'll take the fucking test. But it's also like, I understand the point of two, too of like, it's not okay for you to ask that, you know, it's the, it's yeah. a family story. It's something I've always heard. It's something that, that means something to me. And so why isn't that enough? Because it's not like she was walking around like, I'm a Native American and I deserve all the <laughs> all the trappings and goodwill that come along with it. You know, that was never her position. It was just like, here's the story I told. And people were like, prove it. Prove you're Native American. And finally she did. And it was like, well, there's a little bit in there. Sure. You know, not an unusually high amount or anything. But yeah, there's some. And it was just like, okay, well, I guess it, it all comes down to she just handled it in a way that was maybe a little different too vague in terms of her response to it she should have j- immediately just done the contender uh move of like it's not okay to ask
3: it, and, we all know even showing him a birth certificate doesn't matter
4: right right like it you can't win that game you just you just it, it, it's like war games you the only way to win is not to play and i think that the smart people uh on the democratic Side of the the aisle are gonna realize that that you can't you can't get into a, a, a you know a Twitter war with Trump. You can't go the in, in insult and nickname route with Trump. Don't play that game. You tag him. It, the way to to get Trump is to let him get himself. And the way you do that is keep peppering him with facts, and you start giving him shit about his inauguration crowds. And not being a legitimate president and like all that shit of like not winning the popular vote, the shit that, you know, gets under his skin, the the shit that comes out in leaks that like, oh, we can't discuss this around him because it makes him fly off the handle. Like, we know all of that stuff. We have the ammunition we need as a party to unseat this president. You get him on a debate stage and you just start going after him about that shit and he'll he'll undo himself.
3: He'll call one of his female uh, opponents a fucking cunt or something like that on live TV.
4: Something you know, something that'll fire up his base real good, but the rest of the country will be horrified, rightly so.
3: And that's you know, all that's needed is, you know, 80,000 people split between three states. That's yeah. getting the 4 million people who voted for Obama who didn't vote in the last election, in the last presidential election.
4: Uh, that's why I'm so... the. the... As much as I love Elizabeth Warren, I think Kamala Harris would be better in a debate with Trump just because she would take it to him in a way that Elizabeth Warren is a little too nice. And and I don't mean that dismissively at all. Like, she, she is a firebrand. Like, this is Mrs. And, and she persisted. Like, Elizabeth Warren is no coward. I do not mean that even a little bit. But Kamala Harris is... Uh, is a different kind of aggressive and she would fucking tattoo him she is so good at it like i if you could somehow combine kamala harris's like firebrand attitude and prosecutorial knowledge with elizabeth warren's policy wonk side that would be the perfect frankenstein candidate to you know tie it back to the film uh, that would be unstoppable for for me, um, and I and I think I honestly that's what I want out of uh, whoever it is that comes out of this uh, primary season. I just want them to have the balls, you know, the the that kind of like yeah, all right, we're going up against Trump. The guy is you know rife with problems we're not gonna shy away from any of that shit but alongside it here's all the the good stuff we want to do like we're not gonna get bogged down fighting trump but when it comes time to we're gonna fucking do it you know go after him hard go after him about his taxes and shit but about being a coward talk about his little hands do whatever you gotta do to rattle him and he will fucking go He can't stop himself now. Like after after all the shit he's gotten away with, he thinks he is infallible, and he needs to be put on a national stage again and not just being recycled to the people watching Fox News and MSNBC. Like those camps are are square; they know who whose side they're on, but you know, it's these 80,000 people you're talking about. You get them tuning in when they normally don't watch news shows and shit. You get them tuning into a debate where he says some of the shit that he says on Twitter. It'll make a difference. That's why I'm optimistic, Darren, because our president is so inept. He is bound to destroy himself as all evil figures must.
3: That is something to look forward to. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a good place to go out unless we forgot to say something.
4: No, man, I uh, sorry. uh, I don't often get to talk uh, politics um, in this kind of forum. So thanks for letting me do that. You know, I I am nothing if not opinionated, Darren. (laughs) (laughs) We have
3: you know, we, we probably should do this more often
4: we should we should I, I i've often said i almost feel like i need to do like little 10 minute segments where it's just like look here's what's been stuck in my craw for a while i need to get this out or i'm gonna get cancer
3: i've still got uh, i'm still saving space for bonos or right uh, what really grinds your gears or yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh
4: yeah you know honestly uh, that may happen at some point because i uh i i spend way too much time uh, fuming over things silently to myself, and and like I said, that's that's how you get aneurysms, Darren. Uh, you gotta you gotta get that stuff out. You put the X on the snake bite and suck the venom out.
3: Look really weird, and Daryl Hannah takes your money.
4: Oh yeah, you know I am. I've been so close to throwing in the Kill Bill, uh, one and two Blu Ray recently. I think I think that might happen. I might even do that tonight. After i don't know we'll talk about doll shopping yeah after haunted doll shopping that's that's the immediate future but you know priorities <laughs> um but yeah um I, like i said thanks for having me i know that i i can go on when it comes to politics so uh thanks very much
3: no this was this was great and as i said at the beginning i am here with bo ransdell a dear friend of mine to steal the tagline from the movie talking this was battle royale battle royale battle royale this this is my accidental series of dystopian movies where the government has people kill each other for the entertainment of others I don't know if I will continue but death race 2000 Uh, but if you are not blessed enough to already know who Bo Ransdell is what should people look for?
4: Uh, you know, uh, check out Pick Six Movies. That is primarily what I am, uh, I've am. i been doing of late, like after Devour wrapped up and and so forth. So that's kind of the, primarily the show that I'm doing right now. I'm looking at some other stuff. Um, but yeah, Pick Six Movies uh, is a show in which my uh, my friend Chad and I pick six movies based around a central theme. And then we uh, do a brief introduction where we kind of uh, present the film or an interesting story around the film in what we hope is an entertaining narrative way. And then Chad and I uh, discuss the movie uh, for a little while and talk about generally uh, how bad and, and funny it is. Um, and I'm awfully proud of the show. It is uh, a lot of fun uh, to record. And I have been watching a, a shit ton of terrible movies in preparation for it, uh, as mentioned Uh, to you earlier and it has led to things like conversations where i say huh i wonder if laura croft tomb raider is better than laura croft tomb raider the cradle of life and when you're making those kind of calls darren you're riding in the high country
3: so so true
4: but in one of those movies she punches a shark in the face and rides it like a dolphin that's a th- <laughs> that's a thing that happened and oh, if that God. sounds ridiculous to you check out pick six movies
3: well thank you so much uh can be found on the legion podcast network just like this show right here and many of your other or probably just about any podcast catching place you can think of
4: yeah uh, uh, spotify you yeah. go to Spotify and listen got to all this. Spotify yeah, yeah. and shit. So, yeah, and, and there are a bunch of terrific shows Uh, besides, you know, Pick 6 and this one, bunch of terrific shows on the network, and and I'm a big fan of uh, The Sampler Platter. You know, you just subscribe to the Legion podcast feed, and uh, you listen to what comes up, and uh, subscribe to that show if you like it. And if you don't, uh,
3: it's okay. We got yeah. others. Something else will come along. There seems about something, at least one or two shows dropping episodes every day.
4: Yeah. Yeah. We, we, it's crazy. Like you could literally subscribe to Legion podcast and that's all you listen to and still wouldn't be able to listen to everything in a week. You know Uh, it is when things are popping, Holy cow. That's uh, the, the network motto, by the way, when things are popping, Holy cow, you heard it here first.
3: (laughs) Didn't warn you. I never warn anybody ahead of time that I'm going to ask them this, but you know, that little bit of wisdom that the movie teaches us last episode jerry said the message of battle royale is what's the point of having a fighting chance if you never pick up the gloves death race 2000 uh
4: i think the lesson of death race 2000 is don't trust authority no matter what it looks like
3: don't forget to duck and cover everybody thank you so much (laughs) bye
4: (laughs) awesome America
1: loves you Frankenstein As you travel across this land Mr. President loves you Frankenstein